you know, I don't know. Do, do we need to riff about the election at all? Oh, it just makes maybe. me so deeply, deeply nervous. Uh, uh, I was... Oh my god, there's just so much to talk about. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Should we get get into it? This is the, the best time to get yeah. into it, I think. Yeah. Alright, well, you know, this is, this is three days before, or two days before the election, so uh, this episode will forever be tainted by that, but... Yep. Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator. We're just com- coming at it with a positive attitude. Positive attitude. Working title. Working title. Working, working title. Um, um, all right. Well, hi, guys. Uh, this is the Hegelian Friendship Simulator. Uh, I'm joined today by my co-host, Alex Virgil, who uh, you may know as the producer of Hilary Duff's 2005 studio album, Most Wanted, which debuted at 31 in the UK pop charts. That's correct. And I, of course, as always, am joined by John Miklas, who developed a cure for herpes and then burned all the evidence before anyone could get their hands on it. You're goddamn right. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, little housekeeping here at the beginning. Uh, we are a podcast um, about Wikipedia, uh, more specifically about um, learning and educating both ourselves and our listeners on every single article on Wikipedia. Everything we're starting. Exists. We're starting with English first. Once we get through all 6.1 million articles in English, yep. uh, I believe we're going to move on to um, every other week. First week Japanese, second yep. week Esperanto. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first week we're going to do all the Japanese articles. In yeah, that one every week. single one. Every yeah. single one. Yeah, exactly. And um, and then we can start tackling Esperanto. <laughs> yeah. The more commonly spoken. First, we got to learn Esperanto, but it is going to be the lingua franca of the 21st century. So yeah, and as a, we'll, and as people always say, you know, Japanese is so much easier than Esperanto. So tackle that one first. Good point. Good point. Uh, one day, maybe we'll do an episode on Esperanto, or maybe on in Esperanto. Yeah, on Esperanto in Esperanto. Uh, but if you. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, we're on Twitter. We also have a Gmail account. On Twitter, you can search at Hegel's, like the philosopher, H-E-G-E-L-S, friend sim. At Hegel's friend sim is our Twitter handle. Uh, and then email is just in the name of the podcast, Hegelian Friendship Simulator at gmail.com. Uh, if you are um an expert in a field uh that has some weird stuff going on we want to hear from you if you uh happen to be extremely involved in the wikipedia editing community we want to hear from you uh if you think that we're doing a really good job we want to hear from you uh any constructive criticism please uh shove it up your ass shove it up your fucking asshole there we go yeah um well, uh, with that in mind, uh, Verge, do, do we have any old business from our previous episode? No, I mean, talked... I think we tackled, you know, snow, we... the snowmen of Brussels pretty in-depth, pretty thoroughly last time. I don't know if there's anything else. We got pretty into it, yeah. We, uh, to, loose for our listeners, uh, just so you know, this is the episode immediately after me talking about the men going their own way movement. <laughs> 
Uh, I've actually looked a lot into that lately, and I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to think that maybe there's an option for me. Yeah. Uh, Virgil's going to go monk, as they say in the... I'm so close, I'm so close. ...big cow movement. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the Miracle of 1511, which uh, in reality was just um, just a bunch of snowmen being built. I really, I still am pretty unclear about what the miracle. It could have just is, been but... called a nice winter occurrence, <laughs> the nice yeah. winter occurrence of fifteen eleven. Oh my god! Oh my but god! But I did, I did start watching the next. Oh, first of all, I watched the Tim Heidecker special. Yes, incredible. that was uh, that was our our media wreck from last week, and it is incredible. We could talk about that a little bit. I'm curious because okay, there has to be a small percentage of people who don't know what Tim Heidecker is about. And that is not the place where you'd start. <laughs> you know, it, it, he is fascinating uh, that they he has created so much content. Uh, like, yeah. he he really, there there is a, you know, on cinema, I think, has mm-hmm. multi, multiple hundreds of hours of content, of yeah. audio content. Constant. He ran uh, the, for something in, like, San Bernardino, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, there's a movie about it, too. Um and and everything that he does is in character, which I think is so cool. Incredible. Like it, it is it it is a he's a comedic genius, and his his our uh, YouTube stand up comedy special, a night an evening with Tim Heidecker, is absolutely brilliant. It's like it really it's is. like Sasha Baron Cohen. If every single one of his characters he just named Sasha Baron Cohen, <laughs> it's like the mm-hmm. same thing, but he just uses his own name. He, he he is more subtle though like mm-hmm. in a way that i personally appreciate mm-hmm. that his the movements of his comedy are within uh their different w- wavelengths like they're they're microwaves rather than gamma rays which I, is I hilarious so you yeah because you would expect yeah like it's got british sensibilities yeah absolutely yeah that's all i have oh i'm watching i'm i'm, I'm doing the nexium hbo it's uh it's all right is that the vow is that the vow vow. oh man i've heard it sucks i keep hearing it's not good okay so on that note what i'm realizing is people are divided on the very end which is frustrating as fuck because now i have to watch four more episodes to decide whether I, i land in one one camp or the other on the subject uh, it's nine episodes. It's nine yeah. episodes about a bunch of people getting conned by a dude who's just like. Uh, the the first time I saw him, and it's like all the people in it talk about it, like this is the guy, and I'm like, yeah, you should have followed that thought. That's the thought you should have followed when you uh, first met him. Yeah, the all of the criticism I've heard of it is that it's like almost more self-important than yes. the cult is itself yeah which is not that's not like there there is a very there's a very specific box you need to be in if you're doing a documentary especially mm-hmm. about stuff like like cults mm-hmm. and you yeah you can't you can't toe the line about being like self-important it when, definitely it definitely feels like the people that are in it who were in the cult that are portrayed as like the whistleblowers are definitely trying to save their ass on this one mm. yeah with this they're just like paint, trying to paint paint themselves in in a bit of a light that might be accurate or not we'll find out but all i gotta say so far i i don't know if i recommend it uh but. i will recommend 
and I know we usually do our media recs at the end, but this will go quick. I will recommend the new Mountain Goats album. Uh, oh, it's it great. Is, it is jazzy. It's uh, it's real, real loungy mm-hmm. dad rock, and uh, it is wonderful. I, it's that. not as it's not as good as the album earlier this this year. I personally like the Lo-Fi album more. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, the Garage. You pro- yeah, you probably like this this most musically this one is like super interesting like from like the recording is great Mm -hmm. and and you're right it does kind of have that jazzy like uh brushes on the snare kind of like yeah absolutely big fan yeah no it's fun as fuck and and i do have a theory i saw van morrison just put out a song an anti uh lockdown anti-quarantine covid song oh no yeah, awful. Oh, right, no. right? Like, why? What? So that it, it, there is. My dad's JD, gonna be so sad. I know. JD is is fine. He's never gonna. He's never gonna go reactionary. Mm-hmm. I think he's too much of like a, a union guy and too, mm-hmm. too honed in on leftist politics. And not that Van Morrison was ever part- particularly <laughs> political, right. but uh, there. I think when rock stars turn fifty, we should just like send them to an island similar to the men going their own way island yeah well luckily we get... there's another island next to these Sorna, so we can yeah, just yeah. set them right next to each other uh we should just let them go to an island tons of recording equipment yeah but none nothing is plugged in you know <laughs> like nothing is like transmitting oh yeah and that's so, great man yeah that's yeah. really good stuff man yeah van morrison gene simmons you know like oh these guys God. just go and and we just never have to worry about them ruining their own catalogs what what an amazing super group that i never feel i would have to listen to shaggy and sting making music together i'm in gene simmons van morrison morrissey <laughs> i don't need yeah, any dude but i kind of want that now those three specifically together um well okay so we might as well just go straight into it let's do it uh i will say before we start um i want to give a podcast call out a, a call to action if you will yes uh if you're listening to this you really enjoy the content um, we currently have no behind the paywall stuff. Like right now, we are just we're just making episodes. We're just doing this content for you. Um, for you, uh, we currently are asking that you consider donating to Wikipedia and Wikimedia Foundation as yeah. a whole. Uh, we couldn't do this podcast without it. Uh, in many ways, I think that we would not be the people that we are without wikipedia mm-hmm. uh so uh if you listen to this you're enjoying yourself and you're also like oh wow i never even realized how important wikipedia is to my daily life yeah. and the things i know uh consider donating when we do have any sort of behind the paywall um content it will also be cut with a uh, a donation to Wikipedia. So, well, I wasn't. Uh, I, was, I wasn't informed of this. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. I, well, yeah, no, it, it's going to be a fifty-fifty split. I'm going to get fifty. Wikipedia is going to get the other fifty. What the fuck? <laughs> Sk- skimming on the, it's skimming off the top in the name yeah. of knowledge. Uh, I guess I have but, to get behind that. But uh, yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna go straight into the the content you've all been craving for. 
Yes, uh, why, the why you're here. I, Virg- I think I'm going first, right? I think you're going first. I think you're going to love this one. Oh, man, I'm excited. And I hope you haven't already heard of this. Um, okay, Paris Syndrome. Paris Say, Syndrome. Paris like the city? Paris like the city. Okay. Syndrome. That's all syndrome. it is. I love it. Okay, yes. Um, what is that? What is Paris Syndrome? Okay, so my journey with this is pretty interesting because... So right next to Paris Syndrome, of course, they have the name in French, right? The way they do. Yeah. Syndrome de Paris. Mm-hmm. And then they have it in Japanese. Okay, all right. I dig it. Which is so funny because I saw it. It's called Parishokogun. And I went, oh, I know what this is. <laughs> this is not an uncommon phrase used casually in Japan. First sentence. Paris syndrome is a sense of disappointment exhibited by some individuals when visiting or going on vacation to Paris who feel that Paris is not as beautiful as they had expected it to be. Wow. Mm-hmm. The syndrome is characterized... Okay, this is the, a bit of a the, the bigger surprise. Uh, the syndrome is characterized by a number of psychiatric symptoms such as acute delusional states, hallucinations, feelings of persecution, derealization, mm, big one. depersonalization, anxiety, and also psychosomatic manifestations such as dizziness, tachycardia, which is an increase in heart rate, uh, like heart palpitations, sweating, yeah. and others such as vomiting. That is crazy <laughs> on its on its on its face that is insane to me yeah because paris uh, fucking sucked <laughs> not not because it sucks you, have, in general it's just because it fucking sucked it, like the 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 psychological effects i find so fascinating that there are physical manifestations of this yeah because paris is just so much less than what <laughs> you had hoped so i will say i i went to paris for the first time last year oh, perfect. and loved it i loved it well, and i had multiple i had multiple friends uh this was a common and th- they didn't suffer from paris syndrome i don't mm-hmm. think but multiple friends who said uh paris isn't as tight as i thought it was you know they they were very like and they were i don't think any of them went i went on my honeymoon uh-huh. you know and and i okay. think the first the first time going to paris yeah. on your honeymoon with the love of your life, like there is a certain level of immutability to the yeah, it's to, your literal honeymoon. Like, like I went with my parents and my sister when I was a kid, which yeah is fun. <laughs> it's a weird city. It's a I mean, weird it city. is a. It's a it it I it's not unlike um, L A in certain regards, mm-hmm. in that the visit is not. The juice is not worth the squeeze. I, that I'm not using that expression the, the, correctly, but yeah, oh, I'm not even gonna try. It, 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 you know, it, it is. Um, you gotta, you gotta get the vibe. That's right the thing. That's Paris. the thing about Paris. I'm, I'm, I'm like realizing it as an adult is like, like you can't just go to Paris because it's a place to go to. You have to already know what you want to see in Paris. Yeah, because the yeah. contemporary people there aren't what you're picturing them it's not just a bunch of like cigarette smoking painters you know don't you think that don't you think that um 
And I think maybe COVID might end up derailing this movement, but the modern philosophy of travel, or not necessarily travel, the modern philosophy of tourism uh-huh. is fundamentally so fucking flawed. Right. No, absolutely. The idea that you can go somewhere, mm-hmm. that you can experience it in totality, mm-hmm. is so arrogant on its face mm-hmm. when people uh, people live everywhere. I mean, but don't get me like that's not let's not get around this. Right. People live in every single space that someone else might travel to. Yeah, and so for someone to travel to a lived space and expect something. Besides expecting the, I don't know the 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 momentary the the bliss, like I I I am a big traveler. I enjoy traveling, but the the bliss of singular nostalgic moments mm-hmm. is more important than the the overarching experience of seeing a place. Yeah, which is something I struggle with. Don't get me wrong. No, but that's um, that's kind of no. You're 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 onto something because I think. That's part like I think that's one of the big reasons why this. Is, so apparently this is, uh, it is particularly noted among Japanese travelers, who that's so interesting. Who I think are more, you know, I think I could say it's because of Japanese, like Japanese travel and Chinese travelers lately, and I think it's because there's a bit more of that like go to not say you did it but go to have gone. Well, and I let me. I, I want to interject something mm. and hear your thoughts. Do the Jap- the Japanese and the French feel a certain kinship to each other? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't you? Wouldn't you say that that French culture and Japanese culture are intrinsically tied in like a mutual respect because, as particularly because they regionally do not respect any other culture in their sphere absolutely and they see themselves as like cultural equals they have a lot of the same dispositions on like our language is better we don't we don't Mm -hmm. muddle our language with the other shit our food is better we care deeply about our food and we have methods that are built on you know these kind of so I, i i could see paris being such a letdown for japanese people that have hyped up french culture as the only thing that could possibly match Japanese culture. Yep. I think that's that's a big part of it. I think that's a huge part of it because Tokyo has only become what it is in the past like 40 years. Right? The way yeah. the way like people go like, "Oh man, Tokyo's on my list." That's like a recent thing. And and so I think for people living in Tokyo who are kind of already like, "Yo, like it is difficult to find a city that is as exciting as the place I already live in every day, regardless of how they feel about their individual daily lives. And then to go to Paris and it not be as tight as Tokyo. Yeah. Is... Well, there, Tokyo and for, for as much as French and Japanese culture, I think are pretty intrinsically tied. Tokyo and Paris could not be more fucking. Oh my different. God. Absolutely. Different. They're so different. And, and Paris is so dirty. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And grungy yep. and and Tokyo, I mean I don't know I'm I've spent so little I, only like a week in Tokyo but the 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 yeah you can say it it's cultural clean as fuck <laughs> well yeah and the cultural aesthetic is very normy yeah, yeah, right yeah. like the cultural aesthetic of Tokyo of style in Tokyo especially right is now. so 
Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's so like beige mm-hmm. and it's normcore really as fuck. It fucking rocks, dude. <laughs> I want. I I almost exclusively buy my clothes from Uniqlo now because it's like it matches my aesthetic so hard. It's, I'm like, I want grays yep. and I want browns and I want one color stuff that is like clean. Cut, Everyone you know? there dresses like a tech CEO, <laughs> which is which is great. Well, yeah, I mean, in a in a, a classical tech CEO, mm-hmm. tech CEOs now look f- garbage because they're too flashy. They look Parisian. Yeah, that's, yeah, good point. Um, Maybe tech should be a little bit more Tokyo and a little less Paris, and we'd be. It's okay. kind of fun. it's funny because uh, there's a Japanese Halloween trend called mundane Halloween costumes. I saw this on yeah, social media. Yeah, yeah. I did. It's great because it's just like it. yeah. super slice of life costumes that have not. They're not costumes, you know. There's just like a lady who went to a Starbucks and is worried. Uh, that she won't be able to find a seat with a charger. <laughs> Man, that's so cool. I love, that, I love shit. that. I love that shit so much. That that shit makes me want to just watch Japanese comedy my whole life because uh, we do not have that kind of subtlety here. So I've been trying to um, find more TV shows like Sunshine Sento Sake, yeah. which is my favorite TV which show of all time. I, uh, the audiences are familiar, I think. <laughs> yeah. No need to explain. <laughs> all right, well... For anyone that's not familiar, there is a show, and if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch, you can watch the it. entire series. Um, it's called Sunshine Sento Sake, and it is uh, a follows a Japanese businessman, a salesman, who sucks at his job. <laughs> He's in his like early late thirties, early forties. It's just the most dead end experience. Classic. Yeah, classic like Japanese like. He he doesn't want to be motivated, but he is because of the cultural mores. Yeah, what else is there to be? Yeah, but he, he every single episode features him going out on a sales call and then sneaking away to go to a sento, like a Japanese bathhouse, <laughs> and then after getting a drink in the middle of the day, and it's it's perfect. It is so it's it's such a comfort. Yeah, and I wish that more American comedy was built around this. Like, all right, every episode can be the exact same thing. You just change out the details. No, and you don't need a storyline. That this is so Western, like the linear, the teleology of. Yeah, New Girl didn't need to have a storyline. No, you know what I mean. Like the the storyline sucks. <laughs> it, the, the 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 best part is the jokes and the experience of being in the room with these characters. Mm. We need more shit like that. We do need more shit like that. Um, yeah, I mean that, and that's kind of the thing is like Tokyo Japanese people get get that kind of level of just slice of life beauty every day, and so to go. So on this article it says, um, <laughs> in the French newspaper, and it's Liberation, but in French, it's the accents yeah. over the e, so I'm not even gonna try. Wrote an article on the syndrome in two thousand four. In the article, Mario Renu, the president of the Franco-Japanese Medical Association. Franco-Japanese Medical Association Hell yeah. states that media and touristic advertising are primarily responsible for creating this syndrome. Renu uh, indicates that while magazines often depict Paris as a place where most people on the street look like models and most women dress in high fashion brands, in reality, neither Van Gogh nor models are on the street corners of Paris. 
In this view, the disorder is caused by positive representations of the city in popular culture, which leads to immense disappointment as the reality of experiencing the city is very different from expectations. Tourists are confronted with an overcrowded and littered city, and then parentheses, especially if compared to Japanese metropolis, and a less welcoming attitude by French hospitality workers like shopkeepers, restaurant, and hotel personnel without considering their higher safety risks. Uh, to which tourists used to safer cities are suddenly exposed. So awesome. literally, it's just like Japanese people trying to get an escape from what is possibly objectively the best metropolis and yeah. just getting bummed out because neither Van Gogh nor models are on the street corners of Paris. I think this is an indictment on both Japanese culture and French culture. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's here's the thing, it's like that that this article wouldn't exist at all if the Japanese weren't exactly as they are and if the French weren't exactly as they are. Because it is true. I mean, when you visit France, you're like, "Oh, French people are motherfuckers." Mm-hmm. They are and 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 we we commented on it when we were there about the interact like French and American arrogance. Mm-hmm meet each other in a way that is so dysfunctional as well because american arrogance is is built on i mean there's a lot of things it's built on yeah one is uh like just completely unwieldy military might Mm -hmm. uh that's probably a different conversation but but the i think the thing that like real down like my like down to the to the earth american people like from the mid good midwestern folks believe in their heart that they can sway every person in the world to like them ah you know this is like this this fundamental belief that you just need to have a conversation with someone Mm -hmm. and they are they're gonna be your friend i mean my mom talks to someone in er- like she makes a friend in every grocery store she's ever been in, you know, uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and it's there. Th- that is the American. I'm not saying my mom. My mom is really good at being friends with everybody, so <laughs> I'm not saying she's arrogant. But uh, but the American arrogance it, it revolves around being loud, yeah, right, yeah. and and being friendly, mm-hmm. like overly friendly, mm-hmm. and the French arrogance is like really really about thinking that you're better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a very classic arrogance. It's not a postmodern arrogance yeah. the way that the American arrogance is. It's a classic arrogance. So so I'm curious from your American perspective, what is the what is the thing that like cuz Paris syndrome isn't Tokyo syndrome where Parisians are coming to Tokyo and being disappointed. It only goes one way. Yeah. So what's the special X factor that sets to- Japanese people slightly above the per- per- Parisians? Well, I, I mean, I think that there is um, there's a certain fundamental global pop cultural movement mm. that that um, like I think that Japanese people that that have this Paris syndrome to the uh-huh. point that they're having. <laughs> There's a certain naivete to it all, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas, like the French, if you grew up in French culture, like you're an imperialist, <laughs> like you don't want to be probably, but you probably don't you you devalue non-Western culture mm-hmm. 
if you're French, you probably devalue all culture that is not French. Right. And I think that the specific interesting part of this Paris syndrome mm-hmm. is that the Japanese in their own regional sphere mm-hmm. devalue all culture that is not Japanese, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Like very, very clearly is like, oh, fucking Chinese, right? Yeah. Like that there's like, and and the only, and they, they have this, they have put French on a pedestal. Uh-huh. As if it is Japanese, yeah. right? Like they're like, well, there, there are there are soul companions, uh-huh. you know, the soulmates of the Japanese is the French, and so then it's built on disappointment. Yeah. Whereas the French are motherfuckers. We already <laughs> covered this, and they're imperialists. Yeah. They imper, they, you know, they 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 colonized the world, and so they don't have the same, the same eye for japan the way that japanese probably do for the french yeah absolutely i think you're absolutely right i think you nailed it yeah where japanese i don't this is what kind of fucks with me about well this is probably very indicative of like 20th century fucking global history but japanese people are very dismissive of all other asian cultures Mm -hmm. and then they still on the individual level, like, not from a larger idealistic, ideological perspective, but, like, on an individual level, still do place Western, you know, Western history as, like, yeah. as, like, the kind of central thing, other than... Yeah, I, I mean, I think, uh, I think that on a personal level, too, like, I, I love, the, have you ever watched the TV show, or the it's mostly on YouTube. Vice makes a show called Chef's Night Out. No. Oh yes, yes, yes. I have seen this. So it's my. It's probably my favorite, like TV mm-hmm. show style thing. Mm-hmm. I, I love it so much. Basically, every episode they cover a chef who lives in a city, and he takes him and his friends or his crew out to all of his favorite places in the city that he is that he is a chef mm-hmm. in. My single favorite episode ever is um, a Paris chef. Mm-hmm. I actually, when we were on our honeymoon, we went to their restaurant. D- surprises this, me zero percent. This is a yeah, look this into episode, John Nicholas right here. Yeah, this episode like hit me so hard that I was like, I have to go to this guy's restaurant, and it it, it was the best meal, one of the best meals I ever had. Uh, and they were so cool. They gave us like it's a ten seat bar, mm-hmm. and they put like a little like room for a two-person table like they built a table for us because i said it was our honeymoon nice uh, but this guy kind of offhand in his interview he's talking about one of the places he goes to the chef uh-huh. and he says um yes andre is a chef here uh he really likes Jap- japan and knives so we get along <laughs> and that was a look into i think it was a look in, i think that french culture as a whole yeah probably doesn't idolize anything Mm -hmm. i think that you know we are listener please know that we are basing a lot of generalization like we're we're delving really no this is fucking gospel (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i think that french culture is built on not enjoying very much at all (laughs) right like it is a it is a it is it is a a, a joie de vivre culture mm. that also happens to be very, very stingy about what brings joy. Yeah. I think uh, ennui and... is, uh, the existential ennui yeah. is, is, <laughs> yeah. is as prevalent, if not a bigger tenet than joie de vivre. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and so I think that there is a mutualism to it all, but the French or Parisians in particular are less likely to put Tokyo on a pedestal than a Japanese culture that actually probably does have a bit of um, like like hope. I, I don't know. You can definitely speak more to it, but don't you think that Japanese culture has more like hope built into it than French? Yeah, culture? there's a little bit more sincerity. That's what. Yeah, it is. definitely. Especially less irony. Especially now, I think yeah. there's like way more sincerity, and I think the <laughs> I think there is the post-imperial like ennui. I guess I'll use again in France, yeah. where it's like. You know, this is where, like, the new wave came out of and shit. But, like, when the Japanese started thinking of the same shit, they got, like, Miyazaki films. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. So I think there is, like, a nicer sincerity. You know, all I brought all this up so that I could get you to uh, just say that Japanese people are just the best. They, they, they rock. Yeah, no, they're cool. <laughs> uh, um, which is not yeah, to condone any actual Japanese exceptionalism. Um, which is such a thing I've had to learn in, in LA, which is like, oh, definitely don't advertise my Japanese-ness nearly as much yeah. as I thought it would be chill too. Like, oh yeah, no, I mean, the, I mean, politically Los Angeles is a city run fundamentally by Chicanos and Koreans. Yeah. And so like being Japanese you don't, you is, don't... is white, yeah. white adjacent. Yeah, no, I know. I agree though. I mean, I think Japanese culture rocks. I do. Yeah. Uh, I also... I mean, I have always tried to lean into my Americanness, mm-hmm. uh, and then like also not be an ignorant fool. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, that's and, and that's got to be tough. It's a tough tightrope. <laughs> no, but it, 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 I think it involves understanding that like if you grow up in the states, if you grow up in the south if you ever live in the west at all you have to understand like the impact or uh, there's probably a better word uh, the the relevance of manifest destiny (laughs) this you know this like concept of space oh yeah all american kids are cowboys Mm -hmm. we're all cowboys Mm -hmm. and 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 you have to unpack it if you want to be a global citizen you have to be like all right well how how fucked up am I? Um, and and you should. You should reckon with it. I mean, you should... I think that you should reckon with your cultural heritage without celebrating it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you start celebrating Manifest Destiny and you end up being a white... A literal white supremacist. Yeah. But if you understand the cultural relevance mm-hmm. of it, you understand how it shapes you, then you're then you're much more better suited to like be a global citizen to talk about cultural differences and to From, to unpack I, it I all. just want you to know that in the closing in the closing days of this year of our lord jesus 2020 yeah it this is this is the single most necessary and refreshing thing i've heard from a fully american white (laughs) six something guy is exactly this this is the single most necessary thing for americans and american males to understand especially yeah because for me learning about manifest destiny i learned it from an american textbook in ap us history ap baby Um, and 
and it was like a week of learning it and then a, a, a lifetime of me going, oh, what this means for my family history being half Japanese and a quarter Filipino and a quarter Guamanian is very different from like what they're yeah. teaching us in, <laughs> in school because Manifest Destiny to me is fucking the colonization of the Pacific. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and it's and it's um if there's anything to take away from this podcast right now from a super serious perspective. It's what John just said. Anything else you can throw out? Anything else he said you can throw out? I think that this like century uh, or even in the next couple of decades, we're really going to need to start unpacking and revisiting the whole old world, new world, yeah. fundamental culturalisms and and I mean, I think it's going to become more relevant. I, I hate to say this, but we need to unpack why the Americas are, let's call it the New World, are so fucking violent. Yep. Uh, and what is happening? Like, we are still we are still reckoning with the cultures that were created three, four hundred years mm-hmm. ago, and we're we're you know fundamentally living in a very new culture mm-hmm. globally but mm-hmm. i mean the the united states in particular is probably the most interesting cultural study yeah. cultural milieu that has ever existed on earth mm-hmm. and it is also currently one of the most dysfunctional or not maybe not currently but it is it is a powder keg, and it is primed to be one of the most dysfunctional or the most exceptional thing. There, there is a there is an alternate paths that either could be, oh, this is different than any empire that has stood before mm-hmm. because of the non-organic cultural elements that exist in right. it, or this is going to be the biggest fucking failure and disaster that it has ever existed on earth yeah i'm i caused by i think it's hilarious when people these like this year are calling america the great you know experiment (laughs) because it's such a like good way to save your ass as an american to be like this is just a long-term experiment and we're just working out the kinks constantly right but you're right though because there's two ways to look at i think this moment in the u.s and it's either the end of a failing experiment or a culture in its teen years that yeah, still needs the beginning to, yeah, of it. just needs to like yeah. grow out of it, which I think it can if you're willing to look at Manifest Destiny in a different way than you've probably yeah. maybe been taught. I mean, I think American cultural hegemony uh, similarly could go either way. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have... You're gonna, we're gonna, you're gonna find this out eventually, guys, uh, dear listeners. I'm a bit of a tanky, uh, <laughs> and so uh, I've been, I've been relitigating in my head mm. the failure of the Soviet Union mm-hmm. and wondering if my American education might perhaps cloud mm. some of these successes or um, positives yeah. of the Soviet Union. Um, but that aside, Dude, that face, socialist. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, fuck? That aside, um, American military might is a problem, <laughs> but I'm not entirely sure that 
I'm I feel pretty confident that if America no longer is a, a cultural hegemony uh, in the globe, uh, the the countries or the states that are primed to challenge it mm-hmm. are going to be built around the similar military hegemon hegemony might stuff that the United States is showing uh-huh. and it's not going to be any better. That's what like yeah, I I will agree with you in simpler terms is I don't fucking trust Russia or China anymore than the US. Yeah, no. Absolutely yeah. Fucking not. No way. Uh, so, I mean, I mean the the unless unless we figure out a way to make the um New Zealand Labor Party like the oh the global trend like then we're probably in trouble. Well, what we need is a little bit more of that slice of life subtle humor and beauty that we've been talking about because yeah because that's new zealand is where it's coming out of and resonating with americans the most which i love you Absolutely, know like taika waititi yeah. movies we should be watching way more taika waititi movies as a country all the new time. zealand's about to have its fucking day oh man. my god people love new zealand and it's also yeah it's a great culture and it's so much better of a culture than australia you know weird ass <laughs> culture australia in 50 years i hope that uh during world war four um American revolutionaries come and take your head because you were you were t- talking very early on about what will become the New Zealand Empire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If New Zealand took over Australia, I think it could do it because not too many people are going to be opposed to that because it's going to be kind of yeah. cute. And then yeah. wake up one day, next thing you know, it'll be sheep for dinner, sheep for breakfast. Yeah. Man, I love lamb. I- I'll take it. Yeah, I'll fucking eat lamb all day, baby. Um... All right, should we do my do my article? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are, do you have any any final comments um, about Paris syndrome? This is one of those where I think you know I want people to go through this article because it's so funny because every like oh okay hold on this is <laughs> this is my favorite uh, segment um, this is where the um, the validity of the uh, diagnosis really gets called into question here. Although the BBC reported in 2006 that the Japanese embassy in Paris had a 24-hour hotline for those suffering from severe culture shock, the Japanese embassy states no such hotline exists. <laughs> also in 2006, Miyuki, I assume this is a typo, Miyuki, which is not a name, Kusama of the Japanese embassy in Paris told The Guardian, there are around 20 cases a year of the syndrome, and it has been happening for several years, and that the embassy had repatriated at least four Japanese citizens that year. However, in 2011, the embassy stated that despite media reports to the contrary, it did not rep- repatriate Japanese nationals. So, wow. So basically, it sounds to me like a conspiracy that is uh, perpetuated by the Japanese embassies lack of transparency yeah no i mean and it makes perfect sense i think that it's pretty ridiculous i think the japanese embassy is like slightly embarrassed by japanese citizens overwhelmingly negative response to (laughs) paris so japanese and they're trying to make it more of a thing. I mean, it w- it would be a valid Wikipedia article, even if it was just like a cultural phenomenon. 
to add in like the like the the physical ailments of it all is kind of ridiculous. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was like a public news conference where like some Japanese public official had to formally apologize for like the Paris <laughs> to the Paris government to be like I'm we're so sorry that some a small percentage of our travelers have given you a bad rap. Oh my god. Oh, I love it. Just the subtlety. Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's the so good. Paris syndrome. Please don't get it. John, I'm glad you didn't get Paris syndrome. I, yeah, no, I'm glad I didn't get it either. Because there's vomiting involved. Yeah. Yeah, that would be bad. Um, all right. Are you ready for my article? I don't, I'm ready as I'll ever be. All right. It is a doozy. Um, the title of the article that I've decided to talk about today is List of People Who Died on the Toilet. Oh no! This is this is not at all the direction I ever expect from you. Uh, and it let me tell you, it rocks. I believe uh, it. I so I will say um, there is a Wikipedia article called "Toilet Related Injuries and Deaths." Oh, um, and it is a little bit more goes more into like the um, I guess the 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 urban legend of dying on the toilet. Right. Um, so, you know, it talks about accidental injuries and the fact that um, infants and toddlers have fallen into toilets and drowned. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, that's that's sad. That sucks. Um, and in the United States, 40,000 injuries every year happen in toilet-related And is that uh, about 30,000 more than every other country combined? <laughs> yeah, <probably>. <laughs> <laughs> I would... Um, uh, and then, um, injuries caused by animals, so, uh, so spiders and snakes. Oh, no, that's some Australia shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, self-induced injury. So, basically, um, a lot of people who suffer from constipation will use what is called the Valsalva maneuver, which everybody knows uh you've probably used it while you're on a plane it's when you close your nose your nostrils with your your hands and try and breathe out while your mouth is closed people try to do so this it, to poop yeah <laughs> so so if a lot of people that are constipated will do the valsalva maneuver and will think that it's like all right well it works with my ears it'll probably work with my colon too is there and then they get I, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Is there? Yeah, no, that's good. Has is there any indication that this has ever worked? Uh, or do or did or do too many people individually come up with this on their own and try it? Uh, no, like, no. Is okay, there so, literature behind this? I've never heard of so this. So this, this is and and mind you, only reading the Wikipedia article. So um, so this is uh like I guess a case study. It says the Valsalva maneuver occurs during straining to pass a hardened stool. Yeah. If defecation is suppressed over long periods, problems can occur, such as constipated constipation or stool impaction. Defecation can be facilitated by the Valsalva maneuver. This maneuver involves contraction of the chest muscles on a closed glottis with simultaneous contraction of the abdominal muscles. So it actually does like. You can be, you can like basically leverage your your chest and stomach muscles if you are fully wow. closed. I retract all of my snide comments about it, but it doesn't sound like it's good because it does seem to 
cause quite a bit of uh, injury. Um, oh, and then the last thing I'll say about the toilet-related injuries page, uh, in the Victorian era England, mm. um, there was a perceived risk of exploding toilets. Toilets uh, themselves exploding. Exploding, yeah, exactly. Unrelated um, to... Yeah, I, I don't know. Are you familiar with... Um, the gunpowder plot? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that, but also, <laughs> have you ever, uh, I guess in, in South Korea, it's like a commonly held incorrect concept that if you're, if you fall asleep in a room uh-huh. with a closed door and window and the fan on, you will die. Oh. It's like a, it's like an urban That's legend. That's like that something is I like, feel like my parents have told me at some point. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's like weirdly culturally relevant. And in particular in South Korea, it's like believed by like a large majority of people. Okay. So I, I, the way that I read this whole exploding toilets thing is that like uh, Victorian era Brits were just convinced that there was some sort of flammable substance that could accidentally just like explode a toilet while they were on it. That had to be so stressful, you know? I wouldn't. Oh my gosh, that's the exact opposite thing you need for your butthole when you're trying to yeah. poop. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so so on to the article that I find very interesting. Yeah, yeah, is, the preamble is uh, done. Let's get into the meat and potatoes. Yeah. List of people who died on the toilet. Okay. And so this is all famous people, and it is a bunch of links to to their articles in particular. And um, I, it's a total of 19 people. Uh-huh. Um, which I was actually a little bit disappointed by. Like, it, I thought in all of human history that there would be more than 19, like, Wikipedia article merited people who get, um, who like, get put on, on this list. Who, who on the yeah. disambiguation page get, yeah, get put yeah. on Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's okay, I, because it is still a treasure trove of information. 19 um, is enough. So, in pre-20th century history, there is... One, two, three... Nine. Oh, that's 20. so sad because that's a time when like humor didn't exist. <laughs> so yeah. you're just very seriously. Well, oh god, it's so great. Uh, in 20th century, there's six, and then in 21st century, there's four. Um, the pre 20th century, brutal stuff. Uh, multiple. Okay. Um, have been assassinated on the toilet. Oh. Uh, and I love this description. Because basically every single it, it says date, location, name, Perfect. and the link to their article. Just so you can quickly age, go through it when. You... Yeah, age and description, and so the description, um, many people, mm. like more than more than two, mm-hmm. is stabbed from under a toilet seat while defecated, that while defecating. That's their description for how they died from under the toilet. So. Literally, an assassin popped up from inside the toilet. Yep. All right. So, so two uh, Bohemian princes or kings mm. were killed this way. One um, German, one English, and a Japanese. Um, oh, what, daimyo. A daimyo wow. was this, and 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 all of them are pretty like. Um, it's unclear. This is like seems like urban legend to an extent, but I don't know. So like this guy Yaramir, who was Duke of Bohemia, mm-hmm. um, he's he was killed in Prague. Um, 
and his life seems crazy. I mean, he had a a a years long feud with both of his brothers, mm-hmm. where at certain times all three of them were exiled from their the kingdom. All three of them were blinded by each other. By each other? So, oh my god. So by the end of their lives, all three of them were blind at the hand of their brothers. And and Yaramir also in his early life was castrated by his brother. Oh. Yeah. And then he was murdered on a toilet by someone who was sitting like in the basically in the septic tank and yeah. killed him with a spear. Oh, just straight while up. While he was shitting, yeah. I hope that assassin asked for double double his normal fee cuz that's Right? Yeah, brutal. Brutal brutal stuff. And what um I, that, and that, <laughs> that's also like a big to do for a guy who's already blind. You could, you know, walk up to him yeah, and stab dude. him. Yeah, dude. That works too. He was this guy was blind and castrated and you And he got Gaddafi'd. Him. Yeah, dude. My favorite description, though, of the pre-20th century uh-huh. people who died on the toilet, uh, this is a a, a um, Byzantine man, uh-huh. a, a priest and a philosopher named Arius, okay. A-R-I-U-S. Uh-huh. The description is, died from explosive gastrointestinal problems while in a public toilet. Oh, no! <laughs> And you know, and you know, there was something about it. If the publicity of the toilet was has remained, yeah, has, dude, has remained. I notable. just think that the, I think that the fact that he, he, everybody else, every single other person, all nineteen famous people that died on the toilet, there is really no description of the act or of the dying. Uh-huh. But this guy, he died from explosive gastrointestinal problems. Um. Can you imagine being this guy? He's the only one of these people who they decided had to have explosive in the description of how That's one too many people to feel comfortable about anything I eat anymore. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. So did this guy have a history of gastro? Do we know? He just I, one day no, had something I, bad I to eat. He actually, weirdly, of all of the people in... Um, that died on the toilet had a, has a weirdly long Wikipedia page. Oh. Uh, he seems like he wasn't super. He seems like he was a um, an advocate for a sect or a a an interpretation of Christianity mm. that didn't win out. He was not very well also liked. possibly correct. Um, uh, yeah, he might be correct. Uh, not very well liked, but oh. he sure wrote a lot about it. Um, and he was in he was in Ist- he died in Istanbul like you know like the second coming of the Roman Empire basically the Eastern Roman Empire. The saddest so, thing about him is that all of that he did all of that in his life and it doesn't even matter who gives a fuck. So okay, I wanted to talk about this is actually one of the specific things that I found myself fascinated by and wanted to talk about uh-huh. because um, everybody poops right everybody everybody uses a toilet but. So there's something about dying on a toilet yeah that really really ruins your legacy for you i think in many ways yeah um it's just so personal yeah. and so intimate and and i think that if you are a public figure or a famous person you would like the at least the um 
the privilege of not having to express your fecal, like your your bowel but, movements with everyone. Yeah, that's the thing. Is and, even if I was the savior of mankind, I'd rather not have a Wikipedia page with my poop death. Yeah, dude. It it really. I mean, and I think that it's so. If we talk about the twentieth century, you know, the 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 most famous person to ever die in the toilet, or at least to our modern world is elvis mm-hmm. right right he is he is like famous. i mean if he famous. even died at all no hold on one second he is he is the most famous person to ever die on the toilet mm-hmm. or at least it, certainly in the 20th century certainly to the modern american yeah i don't know any what else did he do yeah but <laughs> I, I mean i don't know i've been to have you ever been to memphis you've been to graceland no uh, it is I've been to Nashville because I looked on the political map and it was a blue dot. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Nashville is bland but nice. Memphis is uh, weird. And Memphis okay. is a weird town. I, I'm not a fan of Memphis. Oh. Um, sorry. I know I'm going to piss off a few of our listeners, but not a fan <laughs> of them. Uh, but I know Graceland is very, very weird. Graceland is um, you go. Mm-hmm. You're on a semi-urban but not totally urban street you park in a parking lot giant parking lot you know that's meant to be able to like the rose bowl parking okay okay buses huge yeah huge fucking parking lot and uh, you park and there are there's a walkway and signs that just say elvis lives the king is here and you go into this house and it's a fucking shitty house in memphis you Mm -hmm. know like Night, it, big, yeah. but gauche, really, really, really ugly yeah, house, yeah. and you're, you know, you're constantly forced to examine this concept of Elvis lives, and quite literally, he is buried in the backyard. Oh, the man yeah. is. You you end the tour of Graceland by going to his grave, mm. and you're like, oh, this man could not be any more dead. And you know what? He died on the toilet. He died on the fucking... I do think that there is perhaps no better or more singularly metaphor for... Um, the folly the, of man. <laughs> yeah, or, or I was going to say like the the unsteadiness of celebrity. Or yeah. the, uh, there's something about celebrity in Hollywood that, that really, really beckons this kind of idea of right. of dying on the toilet it, it's uh it, it's it's poetic in in many ways and and deeply sad but also you can't escape the comedy of it no, judy garland no, and elvis can't escape the comedy of dying on the toilet no it's it's unfortunate because both of those people are immortalized for us now yeah. Right? But if we were 500 years from now, will would their Wikipedia page be that much longer than Arius? No. no. Yeah, no, not at all. And and do we care about anything Arius did? No, not what, at all. What lasts? The poop. The poop death. Yeah, the poop. I mean, that that's going to be singularly important in many ways. Yeah. Um I do want to. There are a couple other people. Okay, that, yeah. Um, well, okay. So here's here's my here's my thing is we made it through the twentieth century with only four poop deaths, and we're twenty years into the twenty first century, and there's already six poop deaths. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, there are there are 
Lenny Bruce, Judy Garland, and Elvis Presley are kind of the big ones. Okay, of... Lenny Bruce, that's a good, that's a, that's one person who maybe that's like. Yeah, well, he almost, it's almost like, um, fitting for him. Like, right. he almost, he almost would rather have died on the toilet. Yeah. Uh, Although, crazy enough, Lenny Bruce was only two years younger than Elvis when he died on the toilet. Elvis was only 42 when he died. Isn't that crazy to think about? That is crazy. Because he seems, I mean, you see pictures of, like, old Elvis, and it's like, oh, that man is yeah, so Yeah, I, I think, up. like, 60, you know, late 50s, right? Like, because he's still going through yeah. the tumultuous, you know, midlife crisis vibes. So, the other... I think kind of interesting 20th century one mm. is uh, another Hollywood person, Don Simpson. Do you know who Don Simpson I've is? I've definitely heard the name. Yeah, you 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 sh- you would have. He is um, he was Jerry Bruckheimer's mm. um, partner. Oh. Uh, so he was a producer. Mm-hmm. I guess he was a, technically a screenwriter and actor too, but known for being a producer. He a producer. So he he produced Flashdance, okay. Beverly Hills Cop, uh-huh. Top Gun, and The Rock. Oh, so he was um, really like living he was it a, up. He was a big fucking deal. I mean, he was he was the real deal. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm gonna just straight read because oh, uh, no. so insane. So Simpson had been using cocaine since the 1980s, but <laughs> increased his his usage over the years. Yeah. His excessive spending and erratic mood swings caused by his drug use were well known within the Hollywood industry in the 1990s, according to screenwriter James Toback. Both David Geffen and Jeffrey Katzenberg had attempted to get Simpson, Simpson to go to rehab for oh. his drug use. Simpson refused to admit himself into a traditional rehab facility, and in 1995, employed Dr. Stephen Ammerman to help him with his addiction. Ammerman, who had a history of drug abuse himself, believed that in order for Simpson to quit drugs, he had to use other drugs to combat the effects of painful withdrawal symptoms. Ammerman oh, yeah, yeah, designed. You gotta balance out. You gotta balance, you gotta balance out. out. Did you just? Yeah, the vibes aren't right. The vibes aren't right. This is like uh, people in their twenties joke about this right now. <laughs> yeah, dude. Okay. Uh, so Ammerman designed what had been described as a dangerously unorthodox detox program. Yeah, which it included was drugs. <laughs> yeah, included the use of several medications, including morphine, for Simpson to take it home to kick his drug habit. This is the best part. Oh Quite a turn. On August 15, 1995, Ammerman was found dead in the shower of the pool house on Simpson's estate. It was later determined that Ammerman died of an accidental overdose of cocaine, Valium, Venlaxifene, and morphine. God, this is the most... Oh, my God. <laughs> it's 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 uh, Hollywood drug use beyond, like, an, an element that we are aware of or even familiar with. Someone, it, it someone wrote this. And someone wrote this into a script and then got no's from across around the town and thought it's it was because it was too ridiculous. And meanwhile, all the no's were like, no, no, this just happened like too recently. We can't really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's too soon, man. Too, too soon. soon bro. Uh, so, all right. So then on January 19th, 1996, is like four months later, Simpson was found dead in the bathroom of his Bel Air, Los Angeles home. Shocker. Yeah. Um, his death was initially attributed to natural causes. An autopsy and toxicology report later determined that he had died of heart failure caused by combining intoxication, uh, cocaine, and prescription medications while going to the bathroom. At the time of his death, there were 21 different drugs in his system, including antidepressants, stimulants, sedatives, and tranquilizers. Uh, in and 20, but 20 of those were prescribed. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Well, no, this is the best. In August 1996, investigative reporter Chuck Phillips of the LA Times revealed that Simpson had been obtaining large quantities of prescription grubs from 15 different doctors and that police found 2,200 prescription pills lined up in alphabetical order in his bedroom closet. Like Quacks. One of the most prolific drug users i think that has to be in the history of modern man like that is insane that is pretty insane that 21 different drugs when you die the most insane thing is that he still had the frame of mind to order them in alphabetical order (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. absolutely just can't can't mix them up absolute psycho shit um that is so wild yeah, I gotta say I, that's. I'm glad that's the one you deep deep dived into. Yeah, it's a fun one, Don Simpson. Um, there are a couple of other interesting uh, 21st century ones. So I think the most interesting one is that um, David Cameron's right hand man, oh. uh, uh, who at the time was 56, uh, conservative politician mm-hmm. from West Oxfordshire. Mm-hmm. He died. Of a heart attack on on a porta potty at the Glastonbury Festival. Oh, so that, that sounds like drugs weird. too. <laughs> yeah, that one's weird. I, I they they originally I guess thought that he had killed himself, mm. and then it was ruled not. It was ruled a heart attack, and so it's very that one's very strange. Too. There's some really hot nineteen year old college student who's just keeping her mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, right now. just like real big time. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I would say dying on the toilet, it's just so deeply embarrassing. Uh, yeah. And and it, it it really, it just, like, clouds an entire life's work. And I do think that it, I, I do think that it's such an interesting, sadly poetic, and, and very mortal way to go out. No, for real. Yeah, that's like one of those things where it's the bigger they are, the harder they fall. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's always that thing of like tragedy and comedy being two sides of the same coin. And like, yep, you know, the best comedy comes from sadness and shit. This really like this really just kind of nails it right on the head. It, it it seemingly does two full quarter, like two full turns of it. Like it's a 360 degree of... Ye- um. Yeah, because like the people can't, the people listening can't see my face right now, but it's a big smile and then a furrowed brow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, dude. Pretty interesting. I I was fascinated at the more I kept digging into, um, like clicking on every single person that's on that list. I'm like, yeah. oh wow, every single one of them has a crazy story. There's um, si- wait, there's six from 21st century. Uh, Notable the- people. Is there anyone uh, else that I would recognize? So let's see. There are so there are actually only there are only four from the twenty first century. Oh, okay. Um, there is Christopher Shale, who was the the conservative uh-huh. UK politician. Um, this guy Jorge Rafael Videla, hmm. who I you know shows my ignorance. He was actually the um, dictator of Argentina for five years. Oh. Uh, he came into power after uh, a coup d'etat deposed Isabel Perón mm-hmm. um, in 1985, and he died in prison. He he 
died, died on, on the toilet in prison. on the toilet in his bathroom in his cell mm. uh, in prison. Mm. Um, and then uh, a a famous businessman, a Bangladeshi businessman, mm-hmm. died uh, on a, in an airplane bathroom. And then this guy Robert Pastorelli, who you might be familiar, he's a he's a character actor. He's like a bit actor. Uh. Um, he died of an overdose. Mm. But I I mean you know like if you're looking at real like the most timely, um, the most in vogue dying on the toilet ever was was the basically mid 60s to the 80s yeah that's what it seems like yeah i mean lenny bruce died in 66 judy garland in 69 and elvis in 77 and that's like the biggest one-two punch of dying on the toilet for famous people yeah by the 80s if you're in la and you die on the toilet it's just like all right chase chasing fame yeah right exactly the Judy Garland one is, um, I don't even want to dive into that. I was, it's kind of, it are, are it, she doesn't deserve it. She doesn't. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, that one is kind of sad in a lot of ways. I, I, I feel, I, I would imagine if we really dove into it, we would feel pretty bad for Judy Garland. Yeah, no, not I'd that, rather not, hear about the funny yeah. people getting assassinated from their butts. Yeah. Uh, the last <laughs> thing I'll say. Who I just want to know, like, was it the client, who I assume one of the brothers, one of Yaramir's brothers, being like, "Look, we've scoped it out. We've cased the joint. The only possible time to do this is talking to the assassin. Like, the only possible time to do this is in the bathroom, and uh, he's got a lot of people around him. So the only way to do it, do it without getting seen, is like to be in the bathroom, or was the guy like, "Yo, look, I specialize in fucking." toilet killings yeah dude i mean that's the thing too is how do you that, set that again, hit job yaramir was clearly already blind and castrated. Blind and castrated it's just like dude just like give him this give him Prague, okay like the bohemian kingdom was already a a vassal kingdom between poland and germany so yaramir was a german puppet his brother was a polish puppet ah. and they it's like dude, who cares it's man? so dumb like, it's the the um the Japanese daimyo yeah, yeah, that died yeah. is pretty interesting too. Did he deserve uh, it? He he was pretty well known for being like a kind of a badass. Um, okay. But his his death is interesting. Some people say that he died. Um, I gotta know. He the the cause of Kenshin's death has been questioned throughout the years. The theory accepted by most scholars is that early sources record his deterioration of health condition, his complaints of pain in the chest like an iron ball, and as Kenshin Gunki uh, wow. records, on the ninth day of the third month, he had a stomach ache in his toilet. This unfortunately persisted until the 13th day when he died. Oh, I see. But, however, it is also speculated that he was the victim of one of the most famous ninja assassinations by a ninja concealed in the cesspool beneath the latrine at Kenshin's camp with a short spear or sword. The theories are not mutually exclusive. The assassin, if he existed and was possibly sent by Nobunaga, yeah. might simply have fatally wounded an already dying man. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. What I'm going to say about that is, like, this might be the one... This this guy... I hope that's what, that's how he did it because he knew that the pulling it off was way more like respectable and like 
badass. Does the Japanese would consider a, a successful ninja assassination from a toilet, like, a particularly badass way to do it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that this might be the way that I want to end the entire discussion of on the toilet. Yeah. This this guy, Uesugi Kenshin, yeah. this daimyo, he wrote a death poem before he died, uh, and it rocks. Um, he says... Even a lifelong prosperity is but one cup of sake. A life of 49 years is passed in a dream. I know not what life is, nor death. Year in, year out, all but a dream. Both heaven and hell are left behind. I stand in the moonlit dawn, free from clouds of attachment. I have two things to say about this. First of all, throughout history, there's like a number of people who seem pretty um, borderline clairvoyant in their ability to just kind of recognize the world around them. And this includes people being these types of people very specifically seeing their deaths and knowing their deaths in the future. Um, I also have this poem up right now because I had to look it up. And yeah. I have an, a, a chrome, attach, a chrome uh, extension called cloud to butt which just changes nice. e- which nice. just changes every instance of the use <laughs> of the word cloud to butt which is just it's just a little dumb little funny thing but for me yeah. the poem is even a lifelong prosperity is but one cup of sake a life of 49 years is passed in a dream i know not what life is nor death year in year out all but a dream both heaven and hell are left behind i stand in the moonlit dawn Free from butts of attachment. Ah, there it is, man. There it That's, is. There's that, something about it. If you take one thing from this podcast episode, let please let it be that. Please internalize that. Figure out what it means to you. Uh, we need, for the sake of everyone, we need you to understand that. I've never been more spooked out by um, synchronicity, and this is <laughs> this is synchronicity at its best. Wow. Incredible. Oh Incredible. Thank you so much. Good so- yeah, no, exactly. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to go back and look through that list on my own. Yeah, please do. I would encourage everyone to. It's it's full of full of gems. Um and what a for yeah. for us fellow 21st century people, let's try to let's try to keep it down on the dying on the toilet let's do our best yeah i would say i would say try to avoid dying on the toilet especially if you already have a wikipedia article about yourself yeah now if you're an assassin though and you're getting hired to kill someone who you know deserves it maybe consider this maybe consider this yeah not a bad place because there's one one way to really fuck up someone's legacy yep uh oh actually i do have one more thing to say about all this please um I, this is, I think, a Wikipedia in-joke, but if you look at the related articles at the very, very bottom of the page of list of people who died on the toilet, <laughs> um, this is below the citations. This isn't the see also. It's like the very, very bottom of the page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The very first um, related article is John Travolta. Uh, so <laughs> if John Travolta ends up dying on the toilet... Uh, there is a a clear, clear 
mystic uh, who has um, access to this webpage. Wiki conspiracy. Yeah. I'm curious what QAnon would have to say about John Travolta I, and toilets. I could see it. Yeah, I could see it. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And, and again, we are not responsible for any, you know, bad thing that uh, happens to John Travolta on a toilet. Now listen, this is... Future. This is all conjecture, all right? It's all conjecture. Or, or satire or whatever, allegedly, whatever we have to say to get us out of trouble, so. Yeah. Wow. We are, we are not Wikipedia editors. Um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Yeah. Me too. Me as well, actually. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, do you got any, any, any recs or anything to plug? No, I don't have any recs to plug. Go vote for the last couple of days, which you won't even hear this before. That. Yeah, go vote. Um, ideally for Joe Biden, but uh, if you need to for Gloria De La Riva, the um, People's Socialist Party of the United States. Um, but if you're in a swing state, vote for Biden. Yeah, it would be better than Gary Johnson or Jill Stein from last time, but still oh not God, as good yeah. as if you had just, you know, done the thing, been a team yeah. player, and put down Biden. I would agree. Do uh, you have a recommendation? Um. No, I don't think I do this week. Just, uh, I agree. Go vote. And hopefully, uh, when we record this after the election, we won't, um, we won't be sad. I would love to look back on this recording and go, ha ha ha, thank goodness. How sad we were in that moment. Really, uh. Or the other way is, you know, we will never be able to listen to this recording because all the lights have gone out in the U.S. and we're. Yeah, sitting around a fire, doing this podcast live, and that could be cool too. I, I wouldn't mind that. We'll see, hey, as long as, as long as we're together. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, with that in mind, uh, adios. Hey, Until oh, next and time. Uh, please, if you like this, hit us up. If you don't, go fuck yeah. yourself. Yeah, Just shove it absolutely. up your But if it's good, please let us know. If it's bad, please, please do not. Eat a chip. Alright, adios. Adios.